<laughs> Hello, emerging writers. Welcome. We're so glad that you could join us today as we sip tea and discover our inner storytellers. My name is Stephanie, and I'm joined by my best friend Kayla and my sister Jordan. Hi. Hi. This week, cuddled up in our blanket fort as we sip tea, we offer an overview discussion on some of the different genres within fiction. While this particular episode won't be diving deep into each genre, we hope it'll help clear up some of the muddiness that can be distinguishing one from the other and figuring out which your story might fit into. Uh, Kayla, would you like to get us started off with my personal favorite, fantasy? <laughs> yes, fantasy is all about having magical elements into the world. There's a lot of tropes and stereotypes within different types of fantasy, such as dragons and witches and things like that. My favorite subgenre of fantasy is urban fantasy, which is a realistic setting, especially a sitting set city setting, <laughs> and then having the magical elements come into the city. So you'll get witches and magic and werewolves, werewolves, vampires. <laughs> urban and contemporary fantasy are very similar. They're basically the same thing. Urban is just going to be in a city, more focused on that, and it's. It can also be considered low fantasy, which you don't hear that term very often, but it's it makes sense to have the antithesis of high fantasy, <laughs> so that's where it comes from. Yeah, I really love urban fantasy. One of my favorite series in the genre, The Hollows by uh, Kim Harrison, is a good example because it follows this witch, Rachel, interacting with different aspects of the city and and underneath all of that is this like underbelly of fantasy, including pixies and vampires and demons. Uh, one of so that's one of my favorite urban fantasy books. But a very popular example of this uh, setup of the realistic world with the magical underneath would be Harry Potter or even Twilight. Ooh, Twilight. <laughs> Harry Potter hits a lot of different um, like subgenres of fantasy. It's contemporary. It's technically young adult. Um, a lot of children read it, but it's technically geared towards young adults. Mm. And there's also this really weird genre that's usually for kids that we won't talk about too much, but it, it's called the portal subgenre. And it's basically you start off in the real world and then through some sort of like portaling or whatever, you go into mm. this fantasy world. And that's what happens with Harry Potter is they start out in like normal Britain or whatever. And then they end up going to this land with Hogwarts mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. Wizards. So there's like a distinct separation between real life, quote unquote, and the cool, interesting thing with the magic. Yeah. Yeah. I guess with urban fantasy, often it's more integrated than that. Mm -hmm. But there is that portal genre for the younger. I'm, I can think of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and Alice yes. in Wonderland as well that are definitely more like children fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, more recently, gosh, and by recently, I mean probably months ago now, there was this children's book that got turned into a movie. It's got Whoopi Goldberg in it. And it was a, a wrinkle book. in time. Yeah. Isn't that a similar idea? I think so. I read it when I was like 12. So yeah, it's pretty similar. There's this girl and her family, her dad disappears and then they discover that he actually traveled through a portal to another universe, basically that kind of operates outside of our own. So mm. see, I'm curious if the portal thing 
helps for children because it kind of sets the stage that it's a separate world and it's not to be taken like as a hundred percent accurate. Cause I have a hard time, like with my own kids, they ask a lot of like, Oh, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? <laughs> to like everything that we watch or read. And I say, no. So I can, I can understand why the portal thing would be, no, they're going into a separate world. Makes Our world's still real, but this is a, a separate thing. And mm-hmm. I think it makes it easier for them to understand. Maybe it makes this world feel safer too. Yeah. No, like, no, that's only in the wardrobe. It doesn't come through the wardrobe. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. I was sitting here pondering why that would be a thing, but I can understand with the examples from my own kids why it makes sense and it's a good idea to do that sort of a thing. In, um, In a similar vein, I guess, but usually more for older audiences well i don't know if it's usually but not necessarily uh beholden to children's stories but still has kind of like a portal thing is like time travel Mm -hmm. so you're you're technically traveling to like separate time periods um i guess in that case you'll be moving into like historical fantasy a lot of times there yeah. was a story I read, and I can't remember the name. I tried to look it up beforehand so that I could, like, blast it. It was it was okay. It was an okay story. <laughs> um, but this girl goes to this archaeological site in modern-day normal world with her family and ends up getting transported back in time. It might have been less fantasy. I don't remember anything super fantastical happening in it. But the idea of traveling through time... Is certainly not typical. Mm-hmm. I think time travel is an interesting one. It definitely kind of leads to the multiple genres. Like generally future is kind of like steampunk type things. And then past would be historical. So it, depending yeah. which direction you're going, you get into some different genres that way. And there's a lot of, as I said before, muddiness when distinguishing genres. Like if depending on how they travel back in time, it might fit into fantasy or it might fit into sci-fi a lot more. Like mm-hmm. if it's technology that sends them through time, like um, the, what? You're giving me a weird look, Kayla. Oh, no. I was trying to think of examples that were fantastical time travel. I think there's a lot of sci-fi. It's mostly sci-fi, but the one that I just talked mm-hmm. about, it had nothing to do with technology. It was like magical artifacts, basically. Mm. Yeah, I read uh, The Outlander by Diana Gabaldon, I think is how you pronounce your last name. <laughs> and that was this like woman in the 40s or 50s going back through time through the like... I think it was like the standing stones that are in like Ireland or Scotland. And then oh, she's Stonehenge. In, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's in historical... Scotland. It's interesting. And that doesn't touch on science fiction at all. It's definitely mostly historical with that splash of fantasy. Yeah, that's what happened with mine too. There was a book that I started to try and read. Um, I don't, I think I just didn't buy it and I was reading like the uh, trial part or whatever. It was called Kindred by Octavia E. Butler. And that has that idea of traveling back in time as well. And Mm. like, having an impact on history. But anyway. (laughs) Let's cover high fantasy, which I think is your favorite stuff. Yeah. I don't really know what to say about high fantasy. It's, I guess, the the most iconic of the Mm. fantasies. You'll find some of the most iconic things in fantasy from that. 
Um, obviously, the Lord of the Rings pretty much set, like, paved the way for all of high fantasy mm-hmm. forever and will forever be an influence on it. And it's really hard to find high fantasy things that don't pull from Lord of the Rings in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, elves, the way people handle elves is very Lord of the Rings or the relationship between elves and dwarves, a lot of people make them at odds with each other now. And the only reason for that is because mm-hmm. they're drawing inspiration. So high fantasy basically is kind of a whole totally different world, right? Rather yeah. than being set in ours. Yeah, I it's think, completely its own creation. Oh, I think it's the most traditional type of fantasy because really other than like folklore and mythology, the Lord of the Rings was what jump-started whole novels being fantasy novels. And so there's a lot of pull from that like whole other world, kind of European medieval version of mm-hmm. a fantasy world that's very Lord of the Rings inspired. Yeah, and it is typically more historically based. Mm-hmm. Uh, medieval settings are pretty typical for it. I personally think it's the most fun because... It's the most distinct escape for me because none of it is set in the real world, pretty much. Yeah, and, and there's nothing to, like, pull you out of the story that's our thing. Yeah, I mean, it it presents unique challenges that other types of fantasy and stories don't necessarily have. Like, if you're creating your own new world with its own deity system, now you have to reconsider what they'll say is cursories, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. or if they have different belief sets, you'll have to reconsider what they use as expletives yeah. and stuff like that, which is one thing that I've been recently having fun with in my own story. <laughs> and you have to build the world and history and culture. And I know of one person who was figuring out how the constellation systems worked in their world because it changed the day and night cycle. Like there's a lot to have fun with it, but Within that, there's a lot that can distract you from actually writing. Yeah, I can't imagine having to do all of that work that I don't think I would consider doing a high fantasy novel myself. That seems like you have to beyond find my balance. scope. Yeah, I uh, just don't enjoy world building that much. I think tell it. I think well created worlds can be really interesting to read. There's definitely high fantasy I enjoy, but I enjoy the different aspects of telling a story a lot more and so putting in all that work to create a functional high fantasy novel just doesn't appeal to me as much Mm -hmm. well i guess we should probably move on from high fantasy unless anyone else has anything else to say because i will talk about this (laughs) all day otherwise and uh we promised other (laughs) stuff so um, I do have one thing to say is that I really enjoy when high fantasy strays away from a very Western European cultural influence. Mm-hmm. And anytime I can find a book or short story that pulls from different like real world cultures to build their fictional world, that's the most compelling to me. Yeah, and I think I feel, that's interesting. I think people don't do it often enough. Yeah, period specific times and like other cultures are so fascinating Mm -hmm. i love the asian cultures and the things that were going on i love the fashion over there (laughs) yeah like some of the older periods Mm -hmm. anyway i think high fantasy shines the most when you can pull influences into your world that are unexpected and Mm -hmm. aren't overdone yeah because i really think we've had enough like lord of the rings heavily influenced fantasy stories that it's compelling when people take different influences because you can't create everything 
100% from scratch when you're world building. You have to have influences and inspiration somewhere so that readers can relate to that world and culture. It needs to be grounded Mm -hmm. in things of reality for us to draw from. Yeah, Yeah. but our world is definitely super rich and there's so many unexplored uh, cultures that we have that you can draw from that are super interesting. And I think that leads to unexpected things because obviously not everybody knows about those cultures or does the research to look into what other people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the best things you can possibly do for writing, and it doesn't matter which genre you like lean towards, but like traveling and learning mm-hmm. is the best thing you could possibly do because you can draw inspiration from everywhere. And mm-hmm. being in a new setting like that can be so amazing. But that that advice is coming from a broke homebody. So <laughs> Yes, aren't we all? <laughs> so maybe you should just get on Google Maps and Google things and just walk yeah. around there. Just watch some different types of movies. Watch things made in other countries. Watching yeah, learn. travel documentaries and travel mm-hmm. shows can be nice. Oh, yeah. Once in a while. The I ones that dip on. into the culture. Yeah. yeah. Paying for Netflix is much more reasonable than paying for vacations. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, so just to round off fantasy in general, just because I really wanted to also talk about fairy tales, because they're the fantasy genre. Uh, oh, so fantasy or fairy tales can be kind of distinguished between the classic fairy tales and then what we would be talking about here more specifically, because we're talking about us personally writing would be stories that are drawn from fairy tales. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I'm. Let's see. A good example of a more well-known story, I assume, would be Ella Enchanted. That's drawn from Cinderella, mm-hmm. a yeah. classic fairy tale, but it's been reimagined. Yeah, they've did a lot to kind of make it a little different. Yeah, and go mm-hmm. into the world more rather than oh, there's a a woman and she goes to the castle and this is all that happens. They really set up the universe of that and what's actually politically going on in that place and why she needs to be there in the castle Mm -hmm. that's a fun one i really liked it when i was younger i read a retelling that felt very beauty and the beast-esque in the first book which Mm -hmm. was a court of a court of thorn and roses by sarah j moss yeah that was good i liked that aspect of the first one it kind of veered away towards something else in the other books but the Initial book definitely was very Beauty and the Beast esque. Mm-hmm. Beast esque. <laughs> yeah, I think pulling from fairy tales can be really interesting and make for great fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if there's something like a hint of familiar, but you do mm-hmm. something completely different. It's captivating to see where you change things and what different things you do. Or even just playing with the um, the whole genre of fairy tales without um without pulling from a specific one like that one disney movie that was live action enchanted yeah, mm, yeah where they pulled from yeah. like multiples because that was very fairy tale-esque w- without uh being one strict fairy tale okay so as an overview we are also planning on talking about romance sci-fi horror and mystery and uh, suspense and thrillers. What would you guys like to move on to next? Um, well, I feel like maybe we should talk about romance later because I think we'll have a lot to say. So maybe cover <laughs> the ones we know less so we're not ending on a less exciting note. Okay. <laughs> maybe 
Let's see. Maybe sci-fi, since it ties so well into fantasy anyway, it's just a different twist on it. There's definitely a lot of overlap between sci-fi and fantasy a lot of the times. Um, sci-fi can, like, worm its way into fantasy, mm-hmm. depending on how they've built the world and how much, like, fantastical, magical stuff is integrated with the technology. But basically, the key factor for sci-fi is does it have a lot of like crazy technology that we don't have now? Does it create new technology and envision uh, a crazier future, I guess? Yeah. Usually it's set in a time ahead of now um, because we already know what now looks like and it's not that. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting to see all the different ways that sci-fi authors explain how the world got to be the way it is. Mm-hmm. in their story it's interesting mm-hmm. watching the various falls of humanity and all the things they imagine can go wrong mm-hmm. um aliens robots space mm-hmm. those are pretty typical things to find in sci-fi not necessarily guaranteed yeah but pretty typical mm-hmm. uh dystopian and apocalyptic societies are often a thing that gets built into sci-fi mm-hmm. having this broken dysfunctional government or world and have a lot of technology overtake it mm-hmm. yeah something i see a lot yeah robots are my least favorite <laughs> thing i swear my husband always makes me watch robot movies and i just hate them because they're so uncanny and they just give me the creeps we watched one the other day that battle angel movie what was uh, alita? alita oh yeah which was okay i mean story-wise it was pretty good but I didn't like all the robot mm-hmm. parts and robots getting chopped in half. Like, that's better for me than, like, blood and guts. Mm-hmm. But, ugh, it's really uh, disconcerting to me. I think there was a robot movie that came out a decade or a couple decades ago where he slowly turned more and more human, and it was a romance between him The one with Robin human? Williams? Yeah. Yeah. What that was that? a really long time ago. Um, that movie just gave me just i cringed through all of it because i was like don't fall in love with a robot don't make the robot a human (laughs) look i liked that movie as a kid okay i'm not gonna lie i don't want robot romance i just don't he became a human at the end because he had all human organs Really weird movie. <laughs> really weird. I'm glad I didn't see it. <laughs> it also, I feel like it raises too many questions of like souls and spirituality and like the more like untangible part of being a human. Where I feel I'm like, like that's what all AI robot stories try to pick at though. They're, all of them are asking that question of what is humanity. Oh yeah. I just meant robots at a whole, not just uh, romance and robots. Which, on that note, if you want to write a story that is, like, really deep with robots, you can ask that question again, but it's been (laughs) asked a lot, and it might be more interesting if you find something else. Yeah. I think it's important if you're going to write a novel to try and turn the genre on its head and look and see what the tropes Mm -hmm. and the commonly done things are and try to make it different. I think it's interesting when the question more is, like, not whether or not something deserves rights or is a human, but how the like humans are interacting with it, how that cruelty defines them. Mm-hmm. 
I think about that a lot with like the it's it's a fast kind of trope and stereotype to have like in any sort of fiction not sci-fi but to have the like kid bully beat up an animal it's like just it's not about like whether or not the animal like deserves good treatment it's about how cruel the bully's being and i feel like that's a question that isn't asked enough with sci-fi like aliens and robots and things i've seen it done but i feel like that's a lot more compelling than if if the robot is a human or not yeah kind of veering off topic a little bit from talking about genres but with the like evolving ai stuff and and people talking about having robots in their homes um i always think about how people will like treat them mm-hmm. everyone wants to think that we'll treat them really poorly but then also people already treat their roombas really nice <laughs> and like their pets in the house or whatever and i'm like i don't know it looks so human i don't think i could be mean to it <laughs> yeah you know yeah. i'd be like hey friend I'm excited for you to learn more, friend. Yeah, we're definitely like pack creatures. Yeah, we're such pack creatures. (laughs) We take in things all the time and say, oh, this is mine. I love it. There's going to be those really terrible people that mistreat them, but they also mistreat humans. Yeah. Yeah, I think as a whole, though, people are generally like treat things well and try to at least take care of stuff. bonds. Yeah, we do. And if it's living in your home with you. Yeah, doing something and, for you. And acting human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to take care of that thing like it's your own. Mm-hmm. Anyway, maybe you can explore that in your sci-fi story. <laughs> um, you might also do something about space operas, which has a lot more warfare and like technology or like, I don't know, mecha tech stuff sometimes. But anyway, uh, we should probably move on. Well, briefly, I, w- I want to mention dystopians and how those got a giant trend in young adult fiction, which I thought mm. was really fascinating and a new way to kind of like interest sci-fi to young adults. There was The Hunger Games and Divergent and The Maze Runner. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And it sort of, um, I felt like there was a big, huge fantasy trend after Harry Potter and it took a turn towards dystopian and sci-fi. Yeah, I think Harry Potter really opened the door like, we can write this for kids mm-hmm. and make it more fun to read and less, maybe less gory and less um, high stakes, but we can make it fun for kids to read. I also think that middle schoolers and high schoolers have a lot more time they to read do. than college it's a good audience. students or adults who are working 40 hours a week and have kids and partners and things. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Not only do children and teens need to be enriched by fiction and stories, but they have so much more time to do it. I agree. Yeah, that's a good audience to shoot for. But again, write what you want to write, not (laughs) for an audience. Yes. I couldn't do it because I enjoy writing sex scenes and you don't put that (laughs) in children's books. I tend to hit very heavy themes in my stories because I shoot for a more realistic uh depiction of how things would be like i have war in my stories and people die and it sucks and people are upset about that so i um i don't enjoy 
the logic of high schoolers and teenagers or or lack the impulses. And so I don't want to write in that age category because they're just so dumb. It's very <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. It's very frustrating. You know what's also frustrating? The way people act in horror. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. gosh. I swear. It's the most ridiculous, over-the-top, predictable behavior most of the time in horror movies. You can turn on a horror movie or read a book and you're like, ah, this person's going to die. This one, too. Oh, probably this one. Probably this one as well. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap between horror and suspense, so I'm going to go ahead and just mesh them together for the sake of time. Um, Horror is probably going to have a lot more of your like active events occurring to the character like harm coming to them in some way there's going to be more more of a chance for um monsters to actually show face mm-hmm. or zombies vampires stuff like that uh suspense is usually more psychological there's going to be more tension building in the focus as opposed to action happening i guess it's gonna be how i would distinguish it horror Mm -hmm. seems a little more external and then the suspense seems more internal like focusing on messing with someone's mind rather than tearing their body up personally i think suspense thriller is uh more effective for me but that's also speaking more from a cinematic viewpoint horror is going to have more gore in it and that doesn't necessarily translate in the same way into writing. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you can write a scene where, you know, there's blood spraying everywhere, but it's not very impactful, I think, yeah, unless you are a magician with words. <laughs> I don't really read a lot of horror because I feel like, like, I watch it. I'll watch TV shows or movies that are horror because that's a couple hours of suspense and tension and like they break it up with comedy and lighthearted moments a lot of the times but reading it I'll just put it down I'm like this is a like tense feeling and I don't want to continue for who knows how many pages it feels too dragged out and a lot of the Mm -hmm. ones I've tried to read I'm like I just want to move on and get going (laughs) yeah it passes a lot faster in a movie and there's a lot more you can do visually rather than having to set a scene and do all the work that it comes from explaining the bad things in a novel also audio does so much work in a horror oh yeah the music the sounds the music yeah yeah. the gross noises Mm -hmm. well done horror audio can get me way more than the visual of a monster or the like dialogue or anything oh yeah if you you turn the mute on most scary movies are not really that scary anymore yeah i think when it's like mystery and then also suspense, that's going to draw me in a lot more for mm-hmm. reading because I have more of a a plot that I'm invested in, I guess, than when it's just like suspense. I guess usually there is going to be something that they're trying to unravel also, but with, with mystery, it just feels more like uh, layered, I guess. Mm-hmm. I really like a lot of... Uh urban fantasy books that center each book around a mystery uh i got really into like the crime fighter 
witcher vampire whatever for a while and so i've read a lot of mystery stuff like that because it'll be a page turner for like what's the puzzle of what's happening and i feel like when you have a supernatural element to that too it can make it even harder for readers to figure out what's going on unless they're familiar with lore mm-hmm. oh yeah that's definitely true you can do a lot that people aren't expecting Mm -hmm. in those types of novels i think uh supernatural elements mixing in with horror and suspense is pretty common and Mm -hmm. well done it's uh definitely a big like i think just base human fear of the like monster in the dark and so you have a lot to play with with mysteries and suspense and thrillers there oh yeah because we have so many you know like urban legends and myths and curiosities Mm -hmm. about what could be happening and it's really interesting to play into those fears that people have that maybe maybe all those little sightings are correct and maybe that there's actually something else going on out there. It's kind of... Mm-hmm. Maybe when you're sitting home alone and you felt like someone was watching you, something <laughs> was actually there. Oh, Stephanie, I'm so glad we're not doing this at night or I wouldn't be able to sleep. <laughs> the uh, first season or two of Supernatural, I feel like, did... Uh, supernatural mysteries well yeah because they just kind of had a monster of well the monster of the week format is a pretty good way to do mystery and suspense yeah i think like buffy and charmed and even scooby-doo yeah does that with mysteries (laughs) i um wow okay what's the word i'm looking for right now it's (laughs) like not eight but took in uh consumed thank you <laughs> thank you not with my mouth not with my brain with my mouth. <laughs> i ate a lot of scooby-doo episodes no i was trying to say i consumed a lot of mystery when mm. i was younger between scooby-doo and like stories i read a lot of mystery when i was younger mm. actually the first book series that uh drew me into reading and actually i taught myself to read with was the mandy series which is a mystery book series for uh, children, basically. I don't know, mm-hmm. older children. And it's set in the early 1900s. So also fueled the flames of my <laughs> love of history. So oh, I got to yes. hit two different things with that. And I don't know. I, I loved working through the mysteries as it went and then being able to go back and be like, oh, here's what happened here that I didn't realize was important or whatever. Yeah, I read those books too. Um, I was really into them for a long time. I was embarrassingly into them with my best friend (laughs) to the point that I made my, we made our teacher call us Mandy and Celia, (laughs) which was especially weird because my sister's name is Mandy. So that wasn't confusing. Oh, yeah, that's great. I was really into Goosebumps in third grade. I don't think I would have been allowed to read them. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't either. It's funny how much stuff I've read now that I was not allowed to read, and I'm just like, this isn't even that big of a deal. I don't understand. (laughs) My sister read the Boxcar Children. I remember that. Oh, I read a couple of those. I, uh, I think... Harry Potter was the story that really got me into books and reading, and that has clear influences into my writing today, because yeah. I love the urban fantasy. Yeah. Um, when it comes to mystery, I tend to prefer things that also hit historical stuff, just because it feels like an excuse to be in that setting, and then you have to also deal with certain dynamics, especially because I like strong female leads Mm. and so then they also have to deal with being in in that culture in in that terrible misogynistic place 
Yeah, stuff like that. I don't care for professional detective stuff as much or like the noir <laughs> sort of setting. Yeah. It's too recent of history, I guess. <laughs> that makes sense. But mm-hmm. I, I like historical stuff for most things. I've mentioned before that I prefer historical romances mm-hmm. as well, which tends to significantly depart from the sorts of tropes that are in your guys' romances that you read. Yes. There, there are a lot of ridiculous things in our types of romance novels. <laughs> you know, when you, we were talking about the genre how we wouldn't write in YA and you were like, I like writing sex scenes too much. I had a revelation that I've never written a sex scene and I've, yeah, I've been thinking about that and I'm like, Hmm, how romancy will my current novel get? Guess we'll find out. (laughs) They're kind of fun. It's, it's a tough thing to do though, because it's a polarizing issue. I feel like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of words people don't like or, Definitely a lot of words. Like I looked at boards and there's a huge like push and pull with people on what words they don't like in a sex scene, what words they do. And it's, you can't please everyone. So that's definitely a thing you have to just do your own thing and do whatever you're comfortable with because Mm. it's a mixed audience. So romance, what subgenres within romance do you like the most, Jordan? Um, I probably read the most um, fantasy or paranormal and contemporary i don't really read the uh suspenseful ones or historical ones as much just because it's not really the setting i like or the kind of thing going on in them that i like but i do like a good occasional monster and typically in a um, romance the monsters aren't super scary there's not a lot of necessarily gore going on or things like that i don't really read the like Harlequin paperback style <laughs> romance novels because they're they tend to be full of a lot of flowery language that I'm not really into and there's definitely like a those definitely have their own kind of super strong tropes and they're just some like a world of their own. I've read some of them and I just don't like a lot of the men that are the like leads in those mm. they're these like hyper masculine dudes that i just ugh, no thank you i read a lot of paranormal romance and if i can find it i read a lot of uh, queer romance which i feel like is its own kind of subgenre because you're a lot of romance has very strong gender roles and very strong like uh flowery virgin women and hyper masculine player men And so anytime it can step away from that, I'm really into romance stories like that, whether it's between like a straight couple or not. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Moving back to what you said about certain words people Mm -hmm. want to shy away from. I can't remember if I've brought this up in one of our very early podcasts or not. I might have because it offends (laughs) me so much. (laughs) But Kayla and I tried to read Stardust (laughs) and there's a sex scene like chapter one. And he describes, first of all, weird cat girl (laughs) as slippery as a minnow. (laughs) And don't, don't do that. Yeah, there's, if there's one way to take me out of a scene, it's to use a lot of like, don't be gross, similes and metaphors for things like you can just call body parts, body parts, you don't Mm -hmm. have to compare it to things. It's not, 
it doesn't need to be that much of a tactile experience to read. Also, maybe don't bring up fish oh. during sex, <laughs> right? I yeah. also think um, not all the time, but a lot of the times that I read romance from male writers, the female characters are just so... Ooh, I'm like, oh no, that's not relatable at all. And that's not like the gaze that I want to like imagine myself in that role. Mm. Even authors that I really love, like Patrick Rothfuss, has uh, has a romantic lead in the books, uh, Denna. And some of the ways she's described, I'm like, that was a sentence I would like to take away. <laughs> yeah, I feel there's a lot of weird things that can happen in the romance category mm -hmm. that make it very hit or miss whether I will like something. I tend to find an author and read most of their specific stuff rather than mm -hmm. like going through the Kindle list and clicking everything because they are not all equal. That yeah. is for sure. Especially, I think there's a huge influx of, you know, the cheap dollar romance novels mm -hmm. online, like eBooks mm -hmm. that aren't super well written, aren't super well edited. They're just out there to make a quick buck and have a, steamy guy with tattoos and a beard and his shirt <laughs> off on the front and i'm like where did they get all these pictures of these men <laughs> yeah i really like paranormal romance because i feel like the leads oftentimes are like stronger because they have magical powers or they have a mystery to solve yeah, and they have to fight things that are not human generally or be yeah. in that world and so you'll get characters that are a little bit less of the stereotypes that you see in romance yeah they but... tend to be a little more jaded and not as airheaded and flimsy and I really, weak. I really like snarky characters. I do too. And I'm like, give me the sexy snarky characters, please. Yeah. And you find that in paranormal romance. Yeah. yeah. I sometimes do like to read like YA romance. Mm. That's kind of fun. I have to be in the mood for it because obviously there's not going to be a lot of like, you're not going to get the fulfillment of a, a good love scene or anything, but a lot of times they can be a good journey to read and there's a lot of buildup, which is kind of fun to read mm -hmm. sometimes. It can be really sweet. And I feel like YA romance oftentimes includes a couple of low points in relationships where the characters realize they messed up. And I like reading it too, because it's uh, heartwarming to be like, oh, good, you're teaching teens and young adults like good relationship habits oh yeah because the regular romance novels generally do not have good habits because you know yeah, no. it's not as fun to read but those coming of age young adult figuring out how relationships and people and interactions mm -hmm. work is really fun to read and definitely like fluffy and cute like i do enjoy those mm -hmm. well we're running out of time <laughs> well we've ran out of time uh, so I'm just going to wrap us up. So the purpose of talking about genres in general is it's really beneficial to know a lot about your genre and to know a lot about other genres, because once you understand yours, you can more effectively turn those tropes on their head and create something new. And by knowing about others, you can bring in those elements to build up that something new you're going to create. Um, that being said, for some people, it might feel very constraining to know that, oh, my story fits in this specific genre and now I have to like keep within these confines. I guess in that case, I, my advice is the same. Learn about others so that you can flip everything on its head mm -hmm. and expand what you're in and maybe you can create new things within the genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just because something isn't typically written or hasn't been done doesn't mean you can't do it. 
a lot of the genres cross over and influence each other and there's little pieces here and there and it's totally fine to do that and it makes it more interesting. But in order for you to effectively turn things on their head, you have to understand it first. You need to understand why things work the way they do mm -hmm. so that you can change it in a way that still works. Yeah. And if you're writing some, something that doesn't fit into a genre well, think about how some of the most popular book series created genres. Mm -hmm. I would say Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter are well known and made a lot of money and printed a lot of copies. And both of them created a whole new genre or subgenre. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, now we'll pass the question off to you guys. Uh, what are your favorite genres to read and to write? Are they different from each other? I tend to read high fantasy and write it, but some people read what they don't write. Is it helpful for you in your own writing to identify what genre your story takes place in, or does it make you feel boxed in and constrained? Join us on our Facebook group, Writers Emerging, or follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter. Links, as always, in the description. And we look forward to seeing you next week.